So I just want to uh, say thank you for uh, having me back uh, today and for the opportunity to stand before you. Um, I'm not alone. I have a beautiful wife that you all know, uh, Tina. She couldn't be here. Um, we have three kids, and one of them is hiding in the corner back there. It's at the <laughs> University of Delaware. And uh, Joshua is a senior, uh, senior in high school right now. And you can guess one of the schools he's applying to for college. Delaware! Yeah, so, so we'll see where God leads him. And my daughter, Sarah, is uh, 11, almost 12. Uh, you know them, but I'm just relaying their names again, so you remember in case you've forgotten, you know. Uh, but it's always a pleasure to be here. We really miss you guys. Uh, but God is doing some amazing things with us uh, in Michigan. And whenever we miss this part of the country, we comfort ourselves in knowing that we are doing what God has called, uh, called us to do. Uh, so we're very thankful for that. But when it gets really, really cold, we really think about here. <laughs> But I have to say that this weekend has not helped, because I thought I was coming to warm and balmy uh, <laughs> Pennsylvania, uh, Delaware, and it's cold, just like Michigan. Uh, so thanks for the cold welcome. <laughs> so we're going to jump into uh, the message really quickly, because I believe a lot, uh, the Lord has a lot to say to us today. And I want to preface this by saying that this is not my message this is the Lord's message. Uh, as you can see from the title, we're going back in time. As I was preparing for today, I believe the Lord uh, led me to the book of Judges. I've been studying the book of Judges, and I thought it didn't have relevance to, to you, but the Holy Spirit said to me, no, this has relevance for the church. So the message today has two parts, uh, two parts application. It has a personal application. So everything that I say applies to you as an individual and for your family too. And I also believe that it has a corporate application for the church. So you can tease out which one it is. As it was mentioned earlier, the church means the congregation or community of believers. So whatever you do in your homes to glorify God and live righteously and allow the Holy Spirit to have its way in your home, the extent to which that is going on, the intensity and the passion with which that is happening, that carries over, uh, carries over to the church. If that's missing in your life and in the life of your family, the church cannot be dynamic and filled with the power of God. So it's all connected. So today, the title of the message is uh, Message in a Bottle from Samson. Some of you are probably thinking about the movies with the bottle thrown in the water and they didn't see it for maybe 30 years and then it shows up in another part of the, of the world. Well, that's the kind of thing I'm thinking about. That God had a message hidden in the story of Samuel. We've seen it. We've heard it. You think you know all about it. But sometimes the Holy Spirit surprises us by showing us some new things. So I'm going to start out... Uh, because I feel like at the beginning of the year, God speaks to us in a way that we don't usually pay attention to. Towards the end of the year, people talk about New Year resolutions, and they think about new things they want to do for the year. And you start asking uh, deep questions about yourself, your family, where you're going, and where you're at. 
And if you have questions are you, or you're in a place where you're asking uh, God questions today, I believe that uh, the Lord has something for you. And there are some questions uh, that some people ask and others don't. But I believe that these three questions on the screen applies to all of us at one point or the other in our lives. So right now, you may be asking the question, Lord, who are you and where are you? Because you are in a tough place. Or you want more from God. You want to be more intimate with the Lord. And you want a deeper revelation of God's glory. So you're asking, Lord, who are you really? Tell me more about who you are. Show me your glory, just like Moses said. Or you may be asking a different kind of question. Lord, when will you do something about this person or this area of my life? Usually when people are asking that kind of a question, it means that you are in a place of personal crisis, a place of oppression of some sort, and you've tried different things, and you've wanted to move from that state to a different state, and it has been difficult for you. So I'm here to tell you that your need for intervention and rescue can be met in the Lord. And I believe that some of the things that we'll be talking about today will deal with that. Thirdly, you may be asking, Lord, what is next? What's next for me? What's next for my family? What's next for my career? What's next for my business? You are in a place of transition. And you're asking the Lord for divine direction. Sometimes this goes deeper. And I've been here at various times in my life. Recently, uh, about two and a half to three years ago, I sensed that God was doing something inside of me, uh, professionally and otherwise. I didn't have a place to go, but I was sensing in my spirit that God is asking me, if he asked me to pack everything and go, if I'll be willing to, to do that. Uh, many of you probably haven't heard this before. But I was talking to my wife, and I said, I don't know why I'm getting this feeling. Uh, but in the past, when I've had that kind of feeling, I know that God is trying to do something, even though I didn't know the full extent of it. So when you are in this place, you are in a place of restlessness. And this restlessness is characterized by inner struggles. You're, you're examining yourself, you're looking inwards, and you're asking a lot of questions. And a lot of times, self-doubt creeps in. Things that you used to believe, you don't know if you really believe them anymore. People you used to believe in, you don't know if you believe in them anymore. Because some things are changing within you. And all your, your spirit is really crying for is some clarity from the Lord on your life purpose and direction. If you look through scriptures... Many people have gone through that. I went through that personally uh, about two and a half, three years ago. And the culmination of that is God then revealing to us at a point in time that you're not now aware of that we needed to consider moving to a new place that God has opened up as a door for us. Even though we knew that that was the place to go, 
we still had some doubts. We had questions. And we were very comfortable with what we were doing. So we didn't really want to move. Especially, especially for jobs, if the job that is attracting you pays you more, you're tempted. But if the job that you have, they said, if you stay, we will pay you what they'll pay you there and a little bit more. So money is not the issue then. It's now a question of whether this is what the law wants me to do or not. So these are questions that go through our minds. If you're in a place where you are restless and you feel like you've lost your peace and you need a sense of direction or you're going through difficult times and you need divine intervention, I believe that the story of Samuel will help you. Uh, I will not spend a lot of time talking about, uh, not Samuel, Samson. I will not spend a lot of time going into all the details of his life, but I want to focus today on a part of his life that we usually skip through, and that is the part that involves both of his parents, his mother and his father. Just quickly, uh, uh, Samson was one of 14 judges in the scriptures. It was... Unusual in some sense, but in other ways it was very similar to many of the other judges. Uh, so when you think about him, you, you, you feel that uh, there's something that maybe shouldn't have been written in the Bible. But one of the things that we know about the Lord is that he, he can be re- real. He puts things out there. Uh, that other people will have white, uh, uh, whitewashed. But God didn't do that. Uh, so today, <clears throat> there are a few lessons I think we can learn from, uh, from Samson. I'll keep going back and forth on that. Uh, <laughs> we know who you mean. <laughs> <laughs> when we are facing uh, life's crisis, and we cry out to God in prayer, God responds with love. God responds with grace. He responds with mercy. And when needed, he provides forgiveness. Not only does he do that, he also rescues us. And we'll see that from the story of Samson. And he restores the things that we've lost. God responds to us because he loves us. Somebody said that earlier too. God loves you so passionately. And not only does he love you, he also cares about every detail of your life. So there's no part of your life that doesn't matter to God. Don't think something is too minor for God. As a church, God cares for the church because that's why Jesus came. Jesus laid his life down for the church. The church is referred to as the bride of Christ. And you are a bride of Christ. You're part of the bride uh, of Christ. So your life matters to God as an individual, and your life matters to God as a church. Where am I? Okay. So there are five lessons that I believe we can learn from the story of Samson. The first one, and I want to read a little bit about uh, uh, from the passage here. I have it with me, but I want you to turn in your Bibles to Judges 13. 
<clears throat> I will skip some verses, I think. So you can read with me in your Bibles. I think you can go to the next slide. So for those who don't have their Bibles with them, I have like a summary of, of the passage for you. So again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of Danites had a wife who was childless. Now this is important. She was childless, unable to give birth. I like the way the Bible tells you the obvious multiple times. So she was childless, and then the Bible said she was unable uh, to give birth. Then the, Lord, the angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. So there are some details provided. So we know that she, she was going to get pregnant. Back then, they didn't have ultrasound. So God made sure that she wasn't going to be asking too many questions later. What am I carrying? Is it a boy? Is it a girl? Trying to guess. They didn't have ultrasound then, but God knew exactly what was going to happen. So God gave that a piece of information. Now, that's important because later we'll see that there are some pieces of information that God doesn't give when we ask him to do so. But you're going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now, to see that, now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant again and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Then the woman told her husband. Now I'm going to, I'm going to skip to, to the story with her husband. This story almost mirrors the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth when the angel came to talk about the coming of John the Baptist. The wife then asked questions. Pay attention to that. Like, Elizabeth didn't ask questions. But the husband does. And not only did he ask questions, he asked a bunch of questions. <laughs> and when you, on average, I'm trying not to stereotype, if you look at men and women in our society, I think a lot of men tend to ask a lot of questions. And a lot of times when we ask questions, it's because we have we're struggling with unbelief. And this is how you know that the husband didn't fully believe what the angel of the Lord has said in verse 8. So Manoah prayed to the Lord, said, I heard what my wife said, but I want to hear it myself. Pardon your servant, Lord. I beg you to let the, the man of God you sent to us come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who is born, who is to be born. But the angel already told them that, but he wanted to hear it himself. So God answered that prayer, and the angel reappeared. 
So we'll skip now to verse 11. Manoah got up and followed his wife when the angel reappeared. When he came to the man, this is the angel of the Lord. This is what he said. Are you the man who talked to my wife? A few seconds before, the wife told him, the man who talked to me, the angel of the Lord, is outside. Do you want to see him? And he went out. And now he's asking him. Sounds like if there is some communication problem going on here. And the man said, I am. And that's all he said. Right next to that, he asked another question. So, verse 12. When your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule that governs the boy's life and work? Now, notice how the, uh, the angel of the Lord responded. The angel of the Lord answered, Your wife must do all that I have told her. And then towards the end of the verse, in verse 14, he repeated, She must do everything I have commanded her. Now, think about this objectively, carefully. Is that the expected answer to the question that Manoah asked the angel? No. The angel is saying, listen to your wife. I'm not going to repeat myself. And that applies to us too. When the Lord has revealed something in scriptures or to you personally, and you keep asking questions about the same thing, the Lord will be quiet because he has already revealed himself. Why should he keep repeating himself? You deal with your unbelief and obey the thing that has been revealed. And once you do that, then there will be more revelation that will come after that. So as, as an individual and as a church, if the Lord has spoken to you about something and you have not done it yet and you keep asking questions about the same thing, If it seems like if the Lord is silent, don't say the Lord is not answering my prayer. The Lord is telling you something by his silence. He's saying, go back to what I've already shown you. Go back to what I've already told you. And then we can talk after you do those things. So, I'll come back to the passage. I'm now going to uh, jump to... Uh, the five things that I saw from the passage. I've already started talking about them. Um, Lesson number one from the life of Samson. Uh, Yes. God chose Samson even before he was born. And I'm saying to you, and you already know this, but I'm going to repeat it, because some of you really need to hear that today. God chose you. God called you. You are not an accident of nature. You didn't just show up. God is not too busy to be concerned about your affairs. Because he chose you, he cares about you. And not only did he choose you, he called you for a purpose and he has a mission for you. And many of you already know that. But you may be at a place, a turning point. You know, you are going like a good soldier on the pathway 
and then you get to a fork on the road, and you're wondering, should I go left or should I go right? And you forget that you have been walking all along to get to that point in time, and that somebody has been guiding you and leading you. So the fact that you got to a crossroad does not mean that you don't have a purpose, that you don't have a call on your life, and that you don't have a mission. It just means you need to now stop and ask a specific question. Lord, what's next? And wait for his answer. But do not allow self-doubt from the enemy to cause you to question God's call and plan for your life. So banish self-doubt about your worth and your importance to your Heavenly Father. He loves you passionately. And he cares about you now. And he cares about you and your future. So that's lesson number one. This passage, I love it so much that I thought I'll read it just to remind us of it. This is Jeremiah 1.5. The Lord said, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. You can put whatever else God has called you to do in place of profit. But God has called you not for yourself, but to the nations. If all you do is focus on yourself and your problems, and you pray, Lord, what plan do you have for my life? Until you look beyond yourself, you will not hear the voice of God clearly. Because God calls us for the benefit and the welfare of others. As you take care of others, God then takes care of your business. But God has called you. Lesson number two. God has a plan for you. God has a plan. And you all know Jeremiah 29, 11. I won't read it. You can, if you don't know it, please read it later. Uh, God's plan is good. He has plan for the present. Before we go to the present... And he has planned for the future. Now, because he's the one with the plan, he also chooses how and when to reveal parts of that plan. I've never, I should never say never, but you can go back to the scriptures and look at it very closely. God usually does not reveal everything at once. Mm-mm. because he wants a relationship. So when God reveals himself and his plan, he does it initially, suddenly, just like you saw with Samson. Out of nowhere, you're minding your own business, you're at work, you've been working at the same place for the last 12, 15 years, and all of a sudden, an opportunity shows up, or you start feeling restless, you're thinking, I got to do something here. I got to, this is not fun anymore. This is not exciting anymore. What, what's next? Well, that's the Lord doing something in your heart. That's the suddenly. Because up till that point, you were okay and you were having fun. Everything was exciting. There's a promotion on the way, but the promotion may stretch you and it may push you. And the Lord is trying to prepare you for it. But there is a suddenly in, in the revelation of God to us. 
and we saw that with Samson. Then there is a gradual revelation of the details of what God is about to do and what God wants to do with us. So you have a progressive unveiling, but that happens through relationship. If God shows up suddenly and he tells you something and you move farther away from God instead of moving closer to God, you're not going to get the details. And guess what happens then? You're restless. You have self-doubt now because God has spoken to you. He has given you a hint. And you have confusion and uncertainty and you, you desire clarity and divine guidance and direction, but you're walking away from the one who can give it to you. Then the length of time that you stay in the place of restlessness, of confusion, and of doubt, and of fear, and of anger, whatever it might be, is going to be long. It's going to be long. If you want that gap of time between the suddenly revelation of God to the clearer, more detailed revelation, you need to run toward him and get closer. And I'm speaking to someone today uh, because God has spoken to you. Maybe it's been two or three years. And you're wondering, nothing has happened yet. Nothing has happened yet. When is God going to do it? I believe God is saying to you in a silent way that I want the, the level of your passion, the level of your intensity, the level of your intimacy to increase. And I'm going to challenge you with some things that you've been compromising on because I want you to stop the compromise before I give you the next step. So we saw this with Samson's father. He asked questions. But you may not get the, uh, you, you may not receive direct or immediate responses. But that doesn't mean that God didn't hear you. God heard you. So Samson's father asked a question about the destiny of his son. What is the future going to be like? And we asked that for ourselves and for our children. He also asked him questions about who God is. He was curious about who God is. But the answer that the Lord gave to him is curious, but that's the way God always answers. God said, I want a relationship with you. Do you want to give me some food? Okay, I won't eat the food. That's in the passage. I'm not going to eat your food, but go bring the food as a sacrifice. And, and we'll get to that later on. The third lesson that I want to emphasize here is that when God calls you, God provides the anointing that is needed to fulfill the destiny that he has called you to. But I want to give you a warning today, and this is a warning for you as an individual and a warning for the church. Yes, God gives the anointing, and you have the anointing, but you have to guard the anointing. Don't take the anointing for granted. Because that's what Samson did. Samson had the anointing, but he took it for granted. Samson was called to live the life of a Nazarite. You can read in, uh, in Numbers chapter 6 more details about, uh, uh, about uh, the Nazarite vow. It's really about a spiritual lifestyle. 
God wants intimacy. So he asks you to make some sacrifices so he can have a relationship, a deeper relationship with you. Some of the things that God said not to do as a Nazarite were sin, uh, sinful things that nobody should do anyway. But there are some things that are almost optional, that you could do them. It's not a sin, but you can choose not to do them. There are some things that God is calling you to do because of the level of maturity and the calling on your life that are not necessarily sinful. But you have to do them to get to the next level. If you ignore them because it's not sinful not to do them, then you are uh, not going to be able to get to the next thing. So the anointing uh, is here, but we need to guard it. And we should not take it for granted. Because if we do, the consequence is a loss of the anointing and exposure to uh, spiritual attacks and oppression. I think we blame too much on the devil when we should be looking inward to see where we have been compromising and where we have not been listening to the Lord. Because we allow the devil foothold in our lives and in our church when we don't guard the anointing. Lesson number four, sacrifice. This is a big one here. The Lord called for sacrifice. Samson's dad asked the Lord, he said, Lord, can you please tell us a little bit so that we can know how to honor you when the prophecy comes to pass. So he was asking the Lord some questions there in verse 16 through 21. But the Lord responded by asking for a sacrifice. But what kind of sacrifice is the Lord asking for? I believe that it's a sacrifice of worship. But it's not the kind of worship that is limited to singing and dancing before the Lord. That's part of it. But it's deeper than that. It is far greater than the feeling we get when we have intense and anointed worship. Because once you leave, you can get out of that. What the Lord is calling for is a sacrificial lifestyle of worship that requires the laying of yourself on the altar as a sacrifice. It's a lifestyle of worship, and this is what the Nazarite vow was all about. It's a lifestyle of worship unto the Lord. I believe that each one of us has been called to be a Nazarite. We've been called to take a Nazarite vow in different areas of our lives. And that is our reasonable and living sacrifice to the Lord. So there are some things that you should not be doing that you might do sometimes because it's not so clear in scriptures if it's sin or not, but it's causing other people to stumble. It may cause other people to sin. It may make it difficult for uh, non-Christians to distinguish you from, from them. If there are things in your life that you're doing that may not be clearly sinful, but causes you not to be clearly distinguishable from a non-believer, you need to pay attention to that because that may be the things that are curtailing the power of God in your life and holding back the fullness of the outpouring 
of God's Spirit in your life or in the church. So it's a lifestyle of being consecrated and set apart for a higher purpose. That's what it means to be a Nazarite. God is calling this church to, be, uh, to, take, to take on the Nazarite vow as a church. You have to figure out what that means for you. It means going the extra step. Not being like every other Israelite. Oh, these are the unclean food. Okay, so in Leviticus he said we shouldn't eat this, we shouldn't eat that. We will make sure that we don't do that. But the other areas that it's not so clear, we'll do it. Because we enjoy doing it. And we don't want to look weird or sound weird. But you're called to be different. So the Lord is calling this body to a Nazarite vow. And I believe he will explain that to you better. He's calling you to look Act and think different, and that in the world you should be distinctly different. People should be able to tell the difference. He's calling us to stand up and stand out and not live a life of compromise. Sacrifice must cost you something. Maybe it costs you your personal reputation with your friends. Or it costs you some comforts of life that everybody else, as Americans, enjoy. But the Lord is asking you to give it up. In your family, in your church, and if you don't do it, then the anointing will not flow the way that the Lord wants it to flow. I have a reference here to David who said, I will not Sacrifice, I will not use anything as a sacrifice to the Lord that doesn't cost me something of value. That's in First Chronicles 21-24. So when you provide a sacrifice, God himself will provide the fire to consume the sacrifice. We're asking God to fill us up. We need more of you, Lord. More of you, Lord. We want to experience your power. And God is responding to that request and that desire of our heart by saying, I want sacrifice. I want you as a sacrifice. I want you to lay your life down. I want you to lay down your lifestyle. I want you to lay down all that you have. And when you do that, then I will provide the fire that will consume that sacrifice. All the impurities, all the confusion, they will be gone. And it will be burnished and it will be pure and it will be of high value. That is what the Lord is calling this church to. And that's what he's calling you to. In closing, I believe that we can also learn the lesson from Samson that God, because of his love and because of his compassion for us, has abundance of grace and is willing to redeem is calling us to a place of restoration. And if there's need for forgiveness, he will forgive. The blood of Jesus Christ wipes away, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. But we have to confess and we have to repent first. It's not enough to just feel bad. That's not repentance. Repentance requires an action. It's not just a feeling. You have to think about areas in your life as an individual and as a family and as a church where we have gone astray 
or where we have not lived up to God's expectation. And say, Lord, we confess our sin corporately in this area and in that area and in that area because we are so desperate for you. And we want you in a bigger, stronger, more powerful way. If you bring the sacrifice, the Lord himself will bring the fire. And he will redeem and he will restore if we truly repent and we cry out to him. I heard that phrase earlier. Cry out to him. Cry out to Jesus. If you cry out to him, he always listens. When you read the book of Judges, from the first chapter to the end, there's a cycle of sin. And then, then there is oppression because God takes, holds back his hand of protection. Then the people cry out to God and they confess their sins to the Lord. And the Lord answers them. And he sends a deliverer. And he shows them the way. And then peace and prosperity is restored. As a church, I believe that when we cry out to God, God will answer us. He is listening. So today, I'd like to close by saying that uh, this is the bride of Christ. God loves you. God loves this church. One of the things we missed about the church is the, the, uh, the passion with which people worship the Lord. And the freedom that the Holy Spirit has here. And, the, uh, and the, uh, the willingness to listen. And get people in, in, in an atmosphere where you can hear the voice of God. That's not common in many places. That's something special here. We need to get that. Because to do that right, the reason why a lot of people are running from that is because it takes the anointing to do that. And when you have the anointing, he asked for sacrifice. We've been doing that, but the Lord is saying to you as a body, that if you want to take the next step, if you want to move to the next place, then you've got to bring a costlier sacrifice. And you have to figure out where there are compromises and clean the house. Bring the sacrifice, and the Lord will bring the fire. My question to you today is this. Are you ready for the fire of God? Or would you rather just have a little warmth from a distance? Do you want the fire of God to consume you, the living sacrifice? If you do, then cry out to him, and he will surely listen. Father, I just want to thank you for this body. I thank you for what you're doing here. I thank you for your amazing love for us. And I thank you, Lord, because you have not forgotten us. You have not abandoned us. You hear the cries of our heart. You, you hear the questions that we have, Lord. Oh, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you will bless your people, Lord. That you will intervene and rescue. That you will bring deliverance, Lord. Oh, God, I also pray for revelation and clarity of revelation concerning what to do, what not to do, where to be, where not to be. As a body, this year, Lord, I just declare over this church a year, oh God, of restoration, a year of abundance, and a year of a freer flow of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.